0: Scripture reading today. Uh, we're going to be jumping to the New Testament, um, Gospel of John. I'll be actually reading chapter fourteen, verses one through six. Again, that's Gospel of John, chapter fourteen, I'll be reading verses one through six. If you don't have a Bible with you, you can turn to the Pew Bible to page eight hundred forty-seven. found the scripture passage, please stand for the reading of God's word. Hear now the word of the Lord. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also, and you know the way to where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. I think many of us uh, during the summer traveled some, some far, some near. For those of us who used to travel long ago, we used to go to a travel agent, and the agent would make reservations for the airfare, the hotels, and the car rentals, et cetera, et cetera. Now, I think most of us probably book it on our own, whether going directly to the hotel's website or AMB, Airbnb reservation, whatever it is. But whether you are booking the reservations for car, hotel, or airfare, you know, usually we, we try our best to look at the descriptions we do our best to look at the pictures. Hopefully, it will entice you to want to stay or take those things. And if you get, get to, you see the reviews so that we make the best educated um, decision. And if we can, we'll talk to others who might have um, taken advantage of those kind of opportunities. But despite everything you've done, despite confirming your reservations before, maybe more than once, sometimes you get to the destination, that could be the airport, and I think some of you guys recently experienced this, or you get to the car rental place, or you get to the hotel and they tell you that, uh, sorry, but we overbooked. I've experienced all three, where you go to the airport, even with a team, and they, they tell you that they overbooked, and the whole team can't go. So we have to split or decide on some other um, things. Or you get to the car rental place, and they tell you sorry, we don't have the car that you asked for. If you want that size, sorry, but you're going to have to wait. And I've waited. It wasn't a pleasant experience. But the worst is probably getting to a hotel and them telling you, sorry, we overbooked, and you actually have to go somewhere else. Today's passage, we hear from the very words of Jesus that he is preparing the kind of suite or rooms in heaven booked by the king of kings with reservation, backed up by... Ironclad clad guarantee. No travel agent or our mistake can get us to a place of that sort. The passage we just read today is in the context where Jesus is sharing his last supper with his disciples. This is the upper room, and he's delivering his farewell disc- discourse The disciples have experienced the washing of their feet by their master. They've been warned that a traitor is in their midst, and they're disturbed. And when Peter kind of, with this false sense of bravado, tries to make sound like as if he will never do such a thing, Jesus tells him, you know what, you will betray me. And there's this disturbance that's brewing, and Jesus continues by telling them that he's going to have to leave. He's going to have to leave them alone. And you can imagine this fear, sense of fear growing on the disciples' hearts, and you can probably imagine on their faces, maybe last time you felt disturbed. And they're wondering, where is he going? And perhaps they're also wondering, what's going to happen to us? How will we survive if he leaves? And if he's going somewhere, how are we going to get there? The passage you read, Jesus responds to those unsettling things that are troubling the disciples. And Jesus tells them, hey, don't be troubled. And he tells them that he's going to go to a place and prepare a place for them And then he's going to come back and take them with him. Ending with the famous passage saying, he is the way, the truth, and the life. You can imagine when Jesus is saying, let not your hearts be troubled, there's this firmness. Don't be troubled, guys. But there's also this probably sense of gentleness as he is encouraging them. And perhaps for us living today in an age of anxiety, this message that Jesus gave to the disciples echoes very true for us, for those, for all who would follow Jesus. Indeed, it's a good medicine for our hearts. And as Pastor Eugene mentioned, Dr. Lloyd-Jones' spiritual depression, perhaps this is the very truth that we need to preach to ourselves in a season of uncertainty and anxiety. While there is this admonition from Jesus, don't be troubled, guys, a greater theme actually shows up in this part of the passage where he's actually talking about the destination, his destination, the place that he is going to go. Yet again, he tells the disciples in the previous chapter that They can't go, not yet. You can't come with me. He's clear that he has to go, but he has to go alone. Why? To prepare a place for them. I've been kind of here and there talking through this uh, short series, if you can call it. It's not really a series since I'm not doing it in sequential order. But in the uh, Septuagint, which is the Greek translation of the Old Testament, the name of the divine name, the the name of Yahweh, uh, which is translated as I am who I am, in the Greek comes as ego eimi, I am. And it's a radical claim that Jesus has been making again and again, that he is God. And today's I am is the sixth of the seven. And Jesus continues throughout all the previous and now too. He uses a definite article, the. I am the way, not a way. I am the truth, not a truth amongst many truths. I am the life. It's an exclusive claim, and Jesus has made it before. Like when he said he's the bread of life, not a bread of life, but that Jesus is the only one and only source of satisfaction for our spiritual hunger. That Jesus is the light of the world, the only guide, not one guide amongst many guides, but the only guide who can lead us out of darkness to the light of God. Jesus said he is the door, and only through him alone can we enter the fold of God. He's a good shepherd who alone can lay down his life for the sheep, and the last one, He is the resurrection and the life, the only one, only victor, conqueror of over death, who raised Lazarus from the grave. This radical, exclusive claim: the only Jesus alone can save us from sin. He alone can bring us to God. And he's the only one who can give us eternal life as the gospel of John repeats throughout the book. Christians, sometimes we get dismayed and perhaps discouraged because of the opposition we experience in this world. Perhaps a little more in the past two years than before. And we... Can perhaps sometimes take this path of less offensive attitude when we engage non-believers. We don't want to offend them. And yes, if we're not compromising the truth of the um, Bible and any biblical standards, we can be we can avoid being offensive. However, when we come to the crux of the matter, the gospel message itself. No matter what we do, as Jesus has been telling, teaching his disciples again and again, the gospel message itself is offensive because he claims to be because he is the only way, the truth, and the life. And that's offensive to people in today's day and age. You might think, because of this kind of advent of postmodernity that encourages tolerance. But we know that that sort of tolerance does not include our biblical worldview. Postmodern unbelievers grant tolerance to every other religion but Christianity. In the gospel, they deem as the ultimate intolerant creed to say that Jesus alone can save. Offends the postmodernity's relativistic worldview. These are the words of a pastor, John MacArthur, speaking about postmodern thinking. He writes, "The one essential, non-negotiable demand postmodernism makes of everyone, and this is what he says: We're not to think we know any objective truth. Postmodernists often suggest that every opinion should be shown equal respect." And therefore, on the surface, postmodernism seems driven by a broad-minded concern for harmony and tolerance. It all sounds very charitable and altruistic, but what really underlies a postmodernist belief system is an utter intolerance for every worldview that makes any universal truth claims, particularly biblical Christianity. This isn't the first time that Jesus speaks of, and Jesus is not the only person in the Bible who speaks of this exclusive path of salvation through Jesus Christ. Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians, when we went through in the previous sermon series, says in chapter 3, no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. In Acts 4, we are reminded salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. And in 1 Timothy chapter 2, we are reminded, for there is one God and one mediator between God and man, and the man, Christ Jesus. Maybe there's some of us here. You're kind of the person right now who's rejecting all this exclusive claim. Or maybe you are interested. Maybe you're interested in Christianity, but not exclusively. It seems like an interesting option to consider. Or perhaps you, you find Jesus to be a way to God, but not the only way. Or you have trusted, but you're troubled, like the disciples are troubled, as you are doing your best to follow Jesus. Well, Jesus says he is the way, the truth, and the life. And if you're trying to find another way, essentially it means you are being foolish because there are no other ways to the Father but through him. You know, in the original creation design, before sin entered humanity, Adam and Eve, the first couple... They enjoyed this beautiful relationship with the creator God. They had communion with the God who created them. They knew him, and they knew the truth. They knew the truth that God had given them. And they had life. They had eternal life. Death hasn't, hadn't entered, and they were able to enjoy. However, when they disobeyed God, and fell into sin, all these privileges were lost. Instead of communion with God, they were now enemies of God, and they began to experience this sense of alienation. Instead of knowing the truth, now they fell into error and falsehood. Instead of possessing life, eternal life, now they began to experience death, spiritual death. And God had promised in Genesis 2, when you eat of it, that is the true tree of knowledge of good and evil, you will surely die. Where are we now? Where are you now? If you don't know where you are, you don't know where you're going to go. Just like, you know, I have a gift of getting lost. GPS, however, only works if you know where you are and where you want to go. You need both. A great map can only help you if you know where you are. Jesus is showing us a way to the Father, but if we don't know where we are, how can we go to where he is going? Bible tells us as human condition, this is where we are on our own. We are alienated from God. We are enemies of God. We have no truth in ourselves, and we're spiritually dead. But the glorious claim when Jesus says he is the way, the truth, and the life is that instead of... Alienation. Instead of enmity with God, we have a way to God the Father. Instead of being in error or in ignorance, there is truth in the person of Jesus Christ. Instead of death, that's where we all start. We are spiritually dead. There's nothing you and I can do to become a little bit not dead. It's only that God can give us new life, be born again. And that's what Jesus offers. When Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, we get the gospel, the good news of God. In the first five verses that we read, Jesus is responding to these troubled souls, the disciples, right? And this pictured word of don't let your heart be troubled don't let your heart shudder it's the same word that jesus used to de- uh, that the scripture uses to describe how jesus felt when he de- when he tells about judas's betrayal and when your heart is troubled what's the solution what does jesus say well this is what we're to do do you have a spiritual heart condition then believe in god That's what he says. Believe in God, believe also in me. A troubled heart needs to believe in God. Is your heart troubled? Then Jesus is telling us right now in our day of anxiety, believe in God, believe in Jesus also. And the tense is is a continuation. Keep on believing in God. Keep on believing in me is what Jesus is saying. When trouble attacks us, We can find comfort and rest for our troubled hearts as we preach the truth of the eternal home that waits for those who trust in him. That's what we have to keep on believing. That's what we need to keep on preaching. Jesus, the spiritual cardiologist, is telling us how to deal with this kind of heart situation. Paul Turnier, in his book, in one of his books, says, if a child you if as a child you have not known a secure home, it is very likely as you go through life, regardless of your, of your abode or wherever you are, you will not feel at home. But on the other hand, if a child... but if as a child you have been secure and at home, wherever you go will be home. So, Underlying this kind of a hard realization that there is this eternal home prepared for us by the King of Kings, that will grant us the rest and peace in this troubled world we live in. You know, Apostle Paul knew this. He, he had a vision of heaven, and, and because he knew this, he was able to live in such amazing difficulties being able to face those challenges, be it shipwreck, imprisonment, having nothing. And he reminds us in Philippians that our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. The disciples are to trust that Jesus is leaving them alone now to go in order to prepare a place for them, And that he will come back and take them with him. This is what Jesus is telling them to trust. Even as he's heading to his father's home, returning home, what a beautiful reminder for us who are following him, knowing that he is preparing a place for us. Yes, there are many rooms, great and grand, but how much more, especially for those tired, weary travelers that we are, as we remember that this is not our final destination, but our master's son is preparing we're not a citizen of this earth, but that we're citizens of heaven in John Bunyan 's classic Christian allegory, Pilgrim's Progress, we're reminded where we belong that The life we live right now is a temporary one. And the city we live in is a city of destruction that will not last. And we are headed to the celestial city. That's where our Lord went to prepare a place for you and me, for those who place a trust in Him. And this preparation of a place is not a physical place in a sense where you prepare with hammer and nails but through cross and a grave, an empty grave, where he lays down his life in our stead so that our sins can be forgiven and give us eternal life. You know, Thomas, as Jesus is explaining all this, you can sense this frustration and just confusion. It's like, okay, we get that you're going to the Father You're going away, but we don't know the way to the Father. And to these questions, his response is, I am the way, Thomas. I am the truth. I am the life. And just in case he doesn't get that, he adds, and no one comes to the Father but through me this exclusive claim of Jesus Christ to be the way, the truth, and the life. He claims to be the way to God, the only way back to communion with God. He claims to be the truth about God himself as the truth. Claims to be the life, not merely a way to life, like a lot of wise people throughout history and even now would try to teach, but he is a life, eternal life. We start, unless we know where we start, we can't go to the right destination. A map is only helpful, a path is only helpful if you know where you are. And Scripture reminds us that we all start utterly ruined. Romans 3.23 tells us that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We're all guilty of our sin, and we are condemned, enemies of God, We're spiritually dead. That's where we start. If you don't start there, then you can't go to the place that Jesus is preparing. And this is an offensive message in our day and age. How dare you tell me that Jesus is the only way? Let's quickly look at the three, the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus said he is the way. And like we said sinful man cannot come to God because you're dead. You can't become undead on your own. And sinful man does not have any desire to come to God. And just as when Adam and Eve sinned, what did they do quickly? They clothed themselves by covering their shame, and they, be, they became um, alienated from God because of God's holiness. And this, this is the offense of the gospel that we are alienated from God, we're hopelessly in sin on our own, and it's only through Jesus, God's sinless Son, could atonement for sin come through. His way of salvation requires us to confess our sins, humble ourselves, seeking pardon, surrendering our claims to self-rule, and trusting in the finished work of the cross and empty tomb the gospel message essentially says we cannot save ourselves. And like Thomas, if we are to understand what Jesus means, to know the destination, we need to know where we are so that we can actually get to where Jesus is preparing. Where are you this morning? Where are you headed Do you recognize where you are? Can you see what Jesus is calling us to, what he's preparing us for? This consistent theme in the New Testament that God has provided a a path, a way, a way of redemption, it's God's eternal plan. That divine Logos, the second person of the Trinity, come away, come here to make a way for us. I mean, in previous chapter 10, he, he said that he is the door, and if anyone enters through him, he will be saved. Jesus is not, a, is not making an exceptional statement. He's been saying this throughout as he's been teaching his disciples that he is the divine I am. We live in a country, thankfully, um, that recognizes all religion and tolerates all religion under the law. And there's this equality under the law. However, we confuse this equality under the law with equal validity before God. And Jesus is clearly saying he's the only way to God the Father. Second, the truth We as sinners, we need the revealed truth because in sin, we are um, covered by ignorance and lies. Just as our first parents, what did they do when they were led um, led into sin by Satan? The serpent in the garden deceived Eve and asked this question, did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? Of course God did not say that. God did say that they could eat from every tree in the garden except one, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Satan's lie suggested God's commandments are not for our good. And if you truly want to experience freedom and blessing, then subtly or not so subtly, suggesting that they break God's commands. That's a lie. And the same lie continues now. Jesus when he says he is a truth, he is saying he is the Lord of truth. He's a source and a normative standard of truth. And without him, mankind would know nothing at all. Wise people, philosophers, claim to possess truth, try to teach truth, but no person in history claimed to be the truth. Now, some people with good intentions, perhaps, including my grandfather who's deceased now and uh, with the Lord, thankfully, by God's grace, would say something like this. Jesus was a great teacher. He was a teacher. So he thought Jesus was a great teacher before God changed his heart and humbled him and broke him. But Jesus as a good moral teacher is not an option because if he's not God, the stuff he said is just blatant lies. How could it be, how could a non-God, be able to say the things he said and be considered a good teacher. He can't. Either you worship him or you reject him. Those are the only true choices. Now, C.S. Lewis gives three choices. You worship him as Lord and Savior, you recognize him as a liar, or you see him as a crazy lunatic. But either way, either you worship him or you reject him. But as a good teacher, he can't be. But he does say he is the truth. And finally, the life. Jesus' third claim is that he is the life. Now, Scripture tells us the wage of sin is death, and man in sin has fallen under death's power and curse. Uh, One author said, the whole Bible bears solemn witness to the fact that natural man is spiritually lifeless. He walks according to the course of this world. He has no love for the things of God. The fear of God is not upon him, nor has he any concern for his glory, God's glory. Self is the center and circumference of his existence. He is alive to the things of the world, but is dead to heavenly things. The one who is out of Christ exists, but he has no spiritual life. You see, apart from Christ, we are spiritually dead, and we are unable to do anything spiritually for our salvation. We're like Lazarus, that Jesus raised from the dead. Jesus came that we may have life and have it abundantly. And the gospel starts by saying, in him was life, And the life was the light of men. Jesus is life because he has life in himself. He conquered death and therefore the resurrection. The Gospel of John ends with this in chapter 20. Now, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life, this life, eternal life in his name. Brothers and sisters, Jesus' claim clearly assumes his deity. So now, either you reject him as Jesus, who he claims to be, or you worship him in case you missed, no one comes to Father except through me, is what Jesus tells his disciples. One commentator sums up this passage by saying, The I am the way, referring to Jesus, I am the way said, One who would shortly hang impotent on a cross. I am the truth when, when the lies of evil people were about to enjoy a spectacular triumph. I am the life. And within a matter of hours, his corpse would be placed in a tomb. You know, in early church history, people were not called Christians. The term Christian was a pejorative, kind of like Protestants. Um, Protestants was a term that Catholics coined, and Christians was a term that, you know, the Romans and the non-Christians as a pejorative sense of the word. Before that, Christians were called followers of the way. They were called followers of the way because they knew the way that Jesus prepared to the Father because these people, people of the way, knew that they are reconciled to God and able to enter into glory to heaven. Catechism question last week, 62, talked about what what awaits us in glory, right? We have glory in this life, but when we die... Another level of glory, and when he raises up from the dead, the ultimate, the final, the full glory that awaits in heaven when our physical body is united and we are fully glorified, sitting, communing with our creator. What a beautiful image that we are given. As a bearer of resurrection life, it is Jesus and Jesus alone who can give eternal life to those who are under the power of death on our own. As the incarnate truth himself, it is Jesus alone who reveals the truth in our day, day and age where lies and errors are so rampant. We desperately need to go back to Christ, who is the truth. And because he is the only way to the Father, it is him alone who can demand our faith and demand that exclusive devotion him as our savior and lord brothers and sisters we don't need to discover or make a way for ourselves instead jesus is saying trust trust in me we need to trust in jesus and follow him we don't need to mass all truth I mean, I like learning. Pastor Eugene loves reading. I like to listen to more books than read these days. But we don't need to master all truth. We can't, first of all. But what we do need to know is we need to know Jesus of the Bible and grow in his truth more and more. That's why we encourage you to come back to the Bible. And that's why you should join a smaller group so that we can grow in that knowledge, truth. And unlike people who say, you know, Do whatever you can to achieve the best of your life now. We don't need to achieve the best life now that we desire out of that sense of wanting to make a name for ourselves. But we do need to receive Jesus and the eternal life, true life, abundant life that only he can give. Let us pray.